0: Well, as some of you know, if you've been with us for a couple of weeks, that we just did a, a fairly brief, quick, four-week study on the book of Second Peter. In fact, Kondo and I were talking about how we should have made this like six or seven weeks because we're giving you big chunks. But uh, so I'm going to be going through uh, chapter three with you today. But I want to begin with a story. I want to go back decades when my wife Kathy and I were in college. So we are talking in the 70s. Back in the 70s. Somebody of you saying. You're probably older than my parents. It's like okay. That's all right. That's all good. But back in the 70s. When Kathy and I were in college. Uh, one of the things that she and I occasionally did. She'll remember this. I know she's here somewhere. She'll remember this. Is we found out about the free Christian drive-in. Free Christian drive-in. So Sunday nights, uh, during the warmer months of the year, we were, at, we were in Columbus, Ohio. During the wa- warmer months of the year, uh, they had the free Christian drive-in. And so, you know, those were the days where you had Sunday night church. Any of you remember those days? We used to do that in church. We'd go to church, and then a couple of us, of our college friends, would jump in a car and go to the free Christian drive-in. Now, there are a few things about it. Actually, it was pretty uh, entertaining. I want you to think about Christian movies close to 40 years ago. The, the quality. You can only imagine what the quality of these. I think we're supposed to call them films. Are movies, you know, unsanctified? I guess they are. I don't know. But anyway, so we would jump in a car and go to these free Christian movies. Some of you remember, if you're like around my age or, or close to it, the 70s very much was the decade of prophecy, right? The decade of the second coming. It's like that was the theme everywhere. There's a guy named Hal Lindsay, precursor to Tim LaHaye and the, the Left Behind series. Hal Lindsay wrote a book called The Late Great Planet Earth. Hal Lindsey wrote a book called Satan is Alive and Well on Planet Earth. So the decade of the 70s was a decade that if you wanted to go to a prophecy conference, pretty much any weekend of the year, you could find a prophecy conference to go to, right? Some of you know what I'm talking about. And so that was that decade. So I want you to imagine what the free Christian uh, drive-in films were always about. The second coming of Jesus. So it was either a movie about the Antichrist, the tribulation, the rapture, or Armageddon. One of those four themes. Now, we really enjoyed going, first and foremost, because it was free. There you go. Great date for a college student. We're going to the movies, huh? Yeah, free Christian drive-in. This drive-in was out in the middle of a cornfield, okay? It really was. And it was owned by some wonderful Christian gentleman who got these films and wanted to show them because his purpose was for people—actually, I wrote it down. This is, these aren't his words, but this is what I remember. His purpose was to terrify you into asking Jesus to be your Lord and Savior and escape future horror and judgment, that's what these films were about. Doesn't that sound like fun? Terrorize you to understand that Jesus was coming back and to talk about the horrors of judgment. We thought they were pretty entertaining, though. You know, we did. So here's what would happen. You'd watch one of these films. You're in a cornfield. You know, you know they, obviously it was mowed. And then there's this screen... And you'd watch these movies. These were not, you know, no Oscars for these movies. I'll just say that, okay? And you'd watch this movie, and at the very end, it was always the same. So the movie would end, and this gentleman would get on a microphone. I think he was the owner. And he'd say, if any of you have not given your life to Jesus, pray the sinner's prayer right now. And the prayer was always this sentence. God save me for Jesus' sake. Amen. And then the best part was he said, if you prayed that prayer tonight, I want you to flash your headlights. And you'd see all these headlights. And we were bad because we'd flash lights. We were all saved. But we'd flash the lights anyway. We were bad boys. (laughs) Kathy never did that. But we did. So... That was, as a baby Christian, some of you, I told you in my testimony, I came to know Christ in 1975, my freshman year of college. That was what I was exposed to as a baby Christian when it came to issues related to the second coming of Christ. Armageddon, tribulation, who's the antichrist, those kinds of things. And then like some of you, I was exposed to all kinds of timelines and charts and all of those kinds of issues. In my 44 years since I came to know Jesus, as I have walked with him and as I've tried to study scripture and tried in my own heart and life to not minimize in any way this incredible doctrine of the second coming, this incredible blessed hope and reality that Jesus is coming again and he's going to take us up to be with him. And it really is our blessed hope. I've tried to have more balance in how I view this doctrine. I've tried to think through what are the authors of scripture ultimately wanting us to know and to do. Not just be fascinated with all of the charts and all of the timelines and all of the speculation, which much of it is. What's the bottom line? What's the ultimate motivation in light of the fact that Jesus is coming again. And when he comes again, he's not coming as a little baby in a manger. He is coming as the conquering King. Amen. And the judge of the world. So Peter in this wonderful little book, we call second Peter, Peter in chapter three I think his heart, his soul, his commitment. And there is such an urgency. I hope you've sensed that as we've studied Second Peter. There is an urgency to what Peter is writing about. As Kondo and I have mentioned, this is his last book. This book was probably written months or so before his execution. There's an urgency to his writing. And this final chapter, chapter 3... Is all about being ready, being ready because Jesus is coming back. So if you have your Bible, would you turn there? We're going to have this up on the screen as well. Second Peter chapter three. I want to begin reading in verse one. Peter writes this. He says, dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. There's another book called first Peter. That was his first letter. This is his second letter. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. I'm going to stop there. What I I want to share with you as I, I work through this chapter is some commands. I think I have four very specific commands that Peter gives that I think are incredibly relevant and applicable to all believers of this church age that we're in as it comes to this doctrine of Christ's return. Uh, My first command is simply the word recall. He uses the word recall. Some of you remember when we looked at chapter one, how often Peter said, remember, I want to remind you. I want to refresh your memory about these things. Because so often we can mentally drift, can't we? We can, be, we can be excited about the truth of the word of God. We can be engaged in those truths. They can be changing our lives. We can be really growing. And then we can drift, right? We can forget. We can fall back. We all are susceptible to that. He says, I want you to recall And then I I love this phrase. Did you see that? He talked about their wholesome thinking. Thinking on things that are wholesome. Other translations use the word pure thinking, sincere thinking. He defines what he means by that in the next phrase. The scriptures. The scriptures. Are you filling your mind with the scriptures? Are the scriptures a... Daily sustenance to you, I think is a very important question for all of us. You know, we, we live in a culture (laughs) that is a strong current against truth to such a degree, don't we? And we are bombarded and we don't even realize, I think, how much we are bombarded through media, just through our culture in general. With things that are contrary to God's truth. And we can become so numb to that. Can't we? We can become so passive. In fact. And Kondo said, said this last week so beautifully. The very things that used to stir us. And anger us. And agitate us. And stir us up. We're kind of like. Oh well. Oh well. We can become so. Numb my friends, to things that are not true. And so what he is reminding us again, and I I see this urgency in Peter, remember, recall, refresh your mind, dwell on things that are wholesome and pure and right and true. And that needs to be a huge discipline that you and I have in our lives. Reading, rereading, studying, meditating on scripture, my friends, must not be an option Don't make it an option. You know, it's not going to be too many months before we start the first of the year, the new year, January 1st. And sometimes people say, okay, I got my list. You know, lose weight, usually at least one or two for for most people. And we kind of have our list to have a more consistent quiet time, more consistent Bible reading, read through the Bible in a year, have devotions every day. And we, and we're so well-meaning, aren't we? First of all, don't wait till January 1st. Let's just start with that. How about tomorrow morning or tomorrow afternoon or tomorrow evening or whatever works for you? You know, some of us that are morning people, I, I love to, to have my time in the morning with the Lord, my quiet time, because it really does for me kind of set the tone for my day. It gets my mind right I say that I'm a much nicer person when I have a quiet time. I think I am. I don't know if that's legalistic or if it's just true. (laughs) But there's something about time with Jesus early in the morning for me and and being in the word of God and reflecting on that truth and praying and just being quiet before the Lord. That is such a wonderful, essential part in me walking with, with Jesus that day. And I don't say that in a legalistic way. He's still with me whether I have a quiet time or not. But for me, there's something profound about that setting the tone for my day. And I think that's true for all of us at some degree, that as we spend time quietly with him and his word and reflecting on scripture and praying and maybe listening, listening to wonderful worship music and singing along and other things that just just fill our soul and fill our spirit with his truth. My friends, we're just going to live life better, aren't we? We really are. I'm just so convinced of that. So I want to encourage you to do that. Read, reread, study, meditate on scripture. Dwell on things that are good and honorable and right and true and of good repute and excellent. We were reminded in the book of Philippians. And the God of peace will be with you. Recall. Okay, let's let's look in verse three as we keep going. Verse three says this. Above all, Peter says, You must understand that in the last days scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, Where is this coming that He promised? Ever since our ancestor died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago by God's words word the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water by these waters and also the world of that time was deluged and was destroyed by the same word the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly but do not forget this one thing my dear friends with the Lord a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day. Peter illustrates to us how to handle scoffers. That's my second command. We see here respond, (laughs) respond to them. The essence of the scoffers taunts were you guys have been talking about Jesus coming again. Where is he? Where is he? Everything is just the same. Things are always the same. Things continue. Where is he? And they were scoffing and they were taunting the church with that. Think about it. That was only about 30 years after the resurrection. We're 2000 years after the resurrection. And there's still our scoffers and there's still our taunters. And there's still, sadly, our brothers and sisters in Christ and those of us who name the name of Jesus who rarely, if ever, think about him coming again. And we're kind of lulled to sleep as though everything else, everything will be the same. So he illustrates, he says, creation wasn't just the norm. The flood, the deluge, Peter points that out. And he says in the very same way, you know the the the, uh, the formation of the world i would i would call it the flood of noah and then he says and the fire of judgment is coming it's not always the same there is and have been interruptions that god has created in the world now i think about people who are scoffers and i think about people who, who challenge us. And I don't know if any of you have, have ever had people angry with you, get in your face because you're a Christian. I have some of you have probably, you know, some of you say, really that actually happens in the United States. Oh yeah. If you're willing to take a, a stand for truth, it can happen. And I'm not talking about being mean. I'm not talking about being harsh or obnoxious. There are people who are repelled by the truth. There are people who, for whatever reason, have such strong feelings against Christianity. If they know you're a Christian, if you speak for God's truth, there will be pushback. It's true. And you say, yeah, that's why I never talk about Jesus. Quite frankly, I'm trying to live the life, trying to live the life. Well, sometimes we need to talk. Sometimes we need to open our mouths. Sometimes we need to challenge people. That's exactly what Peter tells us. First Peter chapter 3, verses 14 through 16, when he says this, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Let me tell you something. This is very true. You can be loving and not intimidated. You can be humble and speak uncompromising truth when you hear error. You can calmly call lies into question and lay out a compelling argument for God's truth. You can do that. I do that. Some of you do that. You don't have to be intimidated. You don't have to be arrogant and harsh. And you don't have to be unprepared. We are challenged, my friends. We are challenged to be ready to give an answer for the hope that is in us. Please don't leave that up to the people that have degrees in in theology, okay? That's all of us. That's all of us. We need to respond. You know, it's so sad. And some of you probably have had moments of of deep regret and shame. When you have been in a situation and the name of Jesus is being trashed or the gospel of Jesus Christ is being made fun of or people are spouting off what is immoral and ungodly and lies. And the spirit of God was prompting you. To say something. And it was like. Nope. Nope. I don't do that. I'm a peacemaker. I'm a people. Oops. Should I say it? Pleaser. I love. I love what he says in First Peter chapter 3. But sanctify Christ as Lord. The, you know what gives me courage in those situations? Remembering who I give an account to. with me? You know, what causes me to speak out? I try to do it lovingly. I try to do it kindly, but to speak up and to speak out for Jesus because he's the Lord. Does it really matter what you think or what the scoffers think about us? In fact, I love what he says there in first Peter, because the way he wraps up is they're going to be ashamed of their slander against you. Because your life has so reflected godliness that God's going to convict them and they're going to feel ashamed. And that's often the case. (sighs) Do you pray for courage? Do you need courage? Do we need courage to stand for Jesus? I'm not talking about being mean spirited. I'm not talking about, you know, some kind of an arrogant pushback. I'm talking about when you're with people that are just really, I use the word trashing truth, they're trashing God's truth to say, Hey, wait a minute. I don't agree. I don't think that's right because so often the people who are the biggest scoffers and taunters speak out of incredible ignorance. To be honest with you, they're not representing the truth. And there's often anger there. And sometimes I say, why are you so angry at God? What happened? What's your your story? And sometimes if they are willing to continue a conversation with me, they'll tell me. And I'll listen. And I'll try to be kind. Because often those people have been wounded. They've been wounded. They've been hurt. But my friends, please, please. Don't be intimidated by the scoffers because the scoffers are often just very deeply lost people who need the truth of Jesus. You need to pray for courage. We all do. Even those of us that are feisty and outspoken and extroverts and all these other things. Some of us are, we need to pray for courage. And you know what? <laughs> Start here. Say, Lord, would you give me an opportunity this week to say something about you? He'll say, oh yeah. I love that prayer. I, I, sometimes I hear the Lord say, I love that prayer, Jeff. Now you're praying the right stuff. I'm going to give you an opportunity. I'm not going to tell you what day. It's probably going to be Thursday. But I'm not going to tell you exactly when. But somebody is going to say something. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to speak truth. Be ready. Be ready you see what Peter said? Always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that is in you. And let me say this. Okay. As long as I'm talking about this, let me say another thing. Go places where there are scoffers. And you're like, what? No, intentionally go to places where there are people who don't believe what you believe. I think one of the greatest indictments upon the church of Jesus Christ is we only hang out with each other, right? It's one of the big indictments on us. Oh, as long as you believe what I believe. You know, we call this fellowship, we call this community, and I'd like to to have that 24-7, quite frankly. Oh, aren't we on mission? Aren't we to be salt and light in this world? Aren't we ambassadors for Christ who've been given the message of eternity? And yet we just want to hang with people who believe everything we do. Shame on us. Shame on me. Shame on us. Because often we just, in our, in our fearful, intimidated way, just want to hang out with people like us. And God says, no, I want to rescue the perishing, as the old hymn says. I want to rescue the perishing. And I see that urgency in Peter. I see that passion in Peter. These people need to be rescued. Verse 9 is one of the most beautiful verses to me. Second Peter 3.9 is one of the most beautiful verses to me in all of the New Testament. Look at what this says. This is incredible. He, that's God, he is patient toward you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come. To repentance. That's the heart of God, my friends. He doesn't want anyone to perish. And the reason why Jesus hasn't returned, it seems to me, it's almost like God in his sovereignty, God in his master plan is saying, I want more. I want more. I want more people in my family. I want more children of God. I want more people to be rescued. I want more. So I'm being patient. Don't you love that verse about a day is like a thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years like a day to the Lord. Uh, You know, God's eternal. God is not locked into time. Okay. God has created time. We live in time, but God is not locked into that. So what to us seems like Come on, come on. You're taking forever. God's allowed to do whatever he wants according to his timetable because he's not locked into time. And I love this verse 9 because it reveals the heart of God for the lost. Jesus himself said his purpose on earth was to seek and save whom? Those who are lost. That is the heart of God. That is the heart of Jesus. And God is patient. He's long suffering toward you. He doesn't want anybody to perish, but people will perish, right? Because if you do not give your heart and life to Jesus Christ, my friends, if you're here today and you have not acknowledged your sin, we've all sinned. All of us. If you, if you acknowledge your sin to God, if you say, Jesus died on the cross for me, Jesus, I want you to be my savior. I want to live my life for you. And God says you're rescued. God says you're one of his beloved children. And the appeal, my friends, from the father himself is I want one more. I want more. I want more. That's why I'm waiting for my return because I just want more people to come. Isn't it beautiful when you see the heart of God in scripture? not wishing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. And you know what that does for me? It convicts me deeply because I don't know that my heart for the loss reflects the father's heart. That's been so convicting to me this week as I've studied this. Does my heart reflect that heart of God for those who are perishing? Oh, Lord, give me that heart. Oh, Lord, give us that kind of heart as a church. So the word is repent. That's that's the third command, repent. Because did you see what it says? Not willing that anyone should perish, but that all should come to what? To repentance. Because the initiation of a new life in Christ begins with confessing your sin and your need for a savior. That's where it begins. That all should come to repentance and come to Him. I love that. That's so beautiful. You know, I, I think of this. I think of the, that. Those two parables: the parable of the compa- compassionate father who had a prodigal son. <laughs> What does the father do? He's waiting, he's waiting, he's waiting for his son to come back, he's waiting, he's longing for his son to come back, and one day as he's looking out on at the horizon, he sees his son coming back. You know what he does? Oh, he runs and he embraces and he forgives and he throws a party. I think about that shepherd, that loving shepherd who had a hundred sheep and one took off and it says he left the 99 people would say, are you nuts? leaving the 99? He left the 91 cause his heart was for the lost one, right? His heart was for the lost one. Are you praying? Lord, give me that kind of heart for the lost. I think the Lord wants us to have that heart, that same heart that he does. That they will repent and come to him. Verse 10 goes on to say this. It says, but the day of the Lord will be like a thief. Isn't that interesting? An interesting metaphor. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. There is a day of judgment. God is patient God does not wish anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of judgment is coming. That's crystal clear. Jesus talked about this idea of of a thief, Christ coming like a a thief. Matthew 24 verses 42 to 44 say this. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night, the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the son of man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. You see why we're not supposed to predict when Jesus is coming. He's coming when you don't expect it. Why? Because he wants you to always be ready. He doesn't want you to say, okay, he's coming, you know, on this date. So two days before we're going to clean the house or clean the life. He's like, no, 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 no. Be ready always. What an incredibly important principle to remember. Be ready. Be ready. Verse 11 goes on to tell us what be ready looks like. Let's continue here. Verse 11, since everything will be destroyed in this way, What kind of people ought you to be? I love that question. You ought to live holy and godly lives. As you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming, the day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. You know, I got thinking this week. This has, been a, this has been a very challenging message for me. And a very challenging passage for me. Because I feel very convicted by it. You know, I read this passage about the patience of the Lord. The long suffering of the Lord. Not willing for anybody to perish. But all to come to repentance. And then tied to that heart for the loss. Is live a godly life, okay? Live a godly life. And what clicked with me as I thought about this, my friends. Is... In this chapter of 2 Peter, the primary reason of living a godly life is not merely to reflect Jesus, it's to attract the lost. I live a godly life. You and I should live godly lives because that makes us different. That makes us unique. That helps us to shine as lights in a dark place and to live the gospel as we proclaim the gospel. You know, often, because we can be so egocentric, can't we? Oh, I live a godly life, so I get blessed. Why do you live a godly life? I live a godly life, so I have God's blessing in my life. Really? Okay, I live a godly life. What's a better answer? To glorify God in my life. Good answer. But one of the main ways you and I glorify God is by living lives that demonstrate the gospel to the lost. That's why you and I need to be in the midst of lost people. <laughs> live a righteous life, live a holy life, live a humble life, live a loving life, live a grace-filled life, live that kind of life because we will be different. We will stand out. We will be the very aroma of Jesus to people who are perishing, right? That's who he wants us to be. And that's so much the thrust of what Peter is telling us in light of the fact that he's coming in light of the fact that all these people need to be rescued, live a life that exemplifies the gospel. And the lost will be saved and the lost will be drawn to the Jesus that they see in you. That's the point. It's not just, oh yeah, I'm gonna live a godly life because I want God's blessing. Can't we be that way? I can absolutely be that way. Yeah, if I live an obedient life, I I, I think my life will be better. That's not ultimately the motivation, my friends. It isn't. So my last command that I see from Peter is the word recommit. Recommit. Let's pick up in verse fifteen. Bear in mind. That our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all of his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things which are hard to understand. That's so interesting, he says that. Which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends... Since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. You know, it's, uh, this is such an interesting couple of verses where he alludes to Paul. And some of Paul's writings have been distorted. And some people don't understand what Paul was teaching, but he affirms Paul not only as an apostle, but a writer of scripture, right? We see that very clearly here. But I think, and and I read some good commentaries on this to try to understand, I wonder what Peter was getting at. And I think what makes a lot of sense, the writing of Paul, the writings of Paul offended pagans, Big time and offended Jews. It did. Why? Because it was a message of one gospel and it's a gospel of grace, not law. You with me? Paul's message was there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither male nor female, there's neither slave nor free. Through faith alone in Christ, you enter into God's family. That was an offensive message. The apostle Paul would say, for there's only one name given under God by which you can be saved. It's not many gods. It's no idols. It's Jesus. That was offensive. And when you think about the fact that the apostle Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles, that the apostle Paul had incredible challenges with Jews who said, Jesus is fine, but you better get circumcised. Jesus is good, but you better add parts of the law too. And Paul said, "Uh uh-uh, faith alone in Jesus Christ and his grace. And I I do think that that was a message that to many in the first century probably sounded a lot like license to sin. And so what Peter is saying, it's so interesting that Peter is affirming Paul here, And he's basically saying the things that Paul wrote about a lot about the second coming of Jesus are the things that Peter is affirming as well. He's coming. Are you ready? Are you ready? Not do you have some incredible chart with all these details filled in about, you know, when the rapture is going to occur and is it pre-mill, post-mill, ah-mill, what is it? Mill meaning millennium. Are you ready? Are you living a godly life? Are you a vessel of the gospel so that the lost who God is so burdened for are coming to him? That's the question. God's patience is our urgency. That's a, that's a a one sentence summary of my message this morning. God's patience, God God's patient longing for the loss to come needs to be our urgency to live a life that exemplifies Christ, to proclaim the truth, to have an answer to the scoffers and to be courageous about the truth. I want to ask the worship team to come on out if they would, as, as I wrap up here, this exhortation in this whole book, this urgency that we see in Peter was an urgency of combating false teachers and false prophets was an urgency for the truth, knowing the truth, living the truth, and certainly was an urgency of living godly lives embodying Christ and his gospel so that the perishing would be rescued, would be rescued. Do you know that you are an ambassador for Christ? You are God's representative to your mission field. You and I are rescuers. You now, as I thought about this, I thought of Kathy's youngest brother is a firefighter. I think about people who rush into buildings. I think about people, rescue swimmers who dive into treacherous, dangerous waters. I think about people who their job, their calling is to rescue the dying. And those people are amazing and they're courageous and they are noble and they're to be honored. You and I are called to rescue those who are eternally perishing. Have we even been in the game? Do we even care? May God break our hearts for those who need Jesus. And may you, Lord God, be the one who gives us courage and the one who compels us to rescue those who are lost. Let's pray. Father, thank you for such an important message from Peter a man who walked with Jesus, a man who was used powerfully, so powerfully to see thousands of people come to know Jesus. And a man who at the end of his earthly life was just compelled to write this letter about those who need Christ, those who are perishing and the impending judgment that will come when Jesus comes again. Stir us, Father, Help us not to be so intimidated. Help us not to be so fearful. Lord, give us courage. Give us love. Give us kindness, but give us courage to go places that are uncomfortable with people who don't like or believe what we believe so that we can be the presence, the aroma of Christ to them. Father, your heart breaks for those in in this county, this community, this country this world who don't know you we want to be your instruments give us courage and lord give us your heart of deep compassion for those who so desperately need our savior we pray in his name amen